What do you call a beehive without an exit? Unbelievable. If you ever see a cow sleeping in a field, that means it's pasture bedtime. That was bad. Okay. You think it's bad. You think it's good. All right. It's so bad that it's good, right? My dad texted me this this week. He said, when Chuck Norris told a joke about Will Smith's wife, Will Smith slapped himself. (laughs) All right. Grab your Bibles. Today we are continuing our series on the book of Galatians. Again, most of the teaching I've done for 16 years of being in ministry has been Um, topical messages. This is kind of my first go at doing a strict um, expository teaching where we're going like line by line through through a book, but I've been enjoying it. Um, For those of you new to the series, the Apostle Paul wrote um, an epistle, that's a a letter, uh, an epistle to the the churches in the region of Galatia uh, in response to uh, a false teaching that had crept into these churches that Paul himself had pioneered and planted. There's a, I have one picture of the region of Galatia, if you want to, boom, there it is, uh, modern-day Turkey. But this is the region of Galatia, so it's not written to just one church. It's written to several churches within this region, and there was false doctrines being introduced and were creeping in um, to these churches Paul has planted. So what does Paul do? He, we see here in the book of Galatians a passionate very passionate. If you go read the book of Galatians, it's passionate, it's comprehensive, it's potent response to this heresy that had been uh, rising up. In other words, Paul is here and he's nipping it in the bud. You know that that phrase, nipping it in the bud. How many used to say nipping it in the bud? Because it sounds very similar. I think I was well into my 20s saying nip it in the, in the butt. And then my wife, I probably, because she's fixed a lot of my grammar. Um, seriously, you know. You know, women marry a project, you know what I'm saying? So we're a, we're a work in progress. <laughs> and your project is almost complete. I <laughs> Give it another 40 years, babe. Um, but he was, he's nipping it in the bud, you know, but when things bud, you, you don't want it to branch out. You nip it. You, you cut it off, right? So he's, he's, he's cutting this off before it becomes a, trying to cut this off before it becomes a huge problem. This is the book of Galatians. We see this passionate response from the apostle Paul. Um, All right, let's get into it. I changed the title of my message this morning. This is the title of it. We're on page four, by the way, those of you who are following in my notes here. Um, The title of our message today is, What's Your Grace Race? How many know that each of us are in a race? Like, metaphorically, our life we're running a race before God. And according to the grace of God given to you, we have to run the way that God wants us to run. And we don't want to disqualify our race. Galatians chapter, so basically, this is part four, by the way, and we're just now getting into chapter two of Galatians. So Galatians two, verse one is where we're going to start here. Paul says this, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, I took Titus along also. He says, then after 14 years. Remember in in chapter one, three years after Paul's conversion, he went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with the apostles and get acquainted with Peter. 
this time, so, so Paul is saying this time, 14 years later, he's telling the Galatians, I went back to Jerusalem um, and he brought Titus and Barnabas with him. Now, 14 years is a long time. To, to, for, for a Jew not to go up to Jerusalem, 14 years is a long time. And this is kind of significant. I mean, I've been to Israel three times in, you know, last, like less than 10 years. I've been to Jerusalem uh, three times in the last 10 years. Well, Paul's saying, it's been 14 years and I made this trip. In other words, for those of you who don't know, um, a, a practicing Jewish uh, person, uh, especially a Pharisee, which was what Paul was prior to his conversion, they were supposed to go up to Jerusalem three times a year for the three major feasts. So this is clearly Paul is illustrating to these Galatians that he's, he's broken with um, trying to live to the letter of the law of the Old Testament. In other words, he's stepped into something new. I have a, a newfound faith here. He's, he's uh, broken with the strict practices of the Torah, the law. Paul mentions that he has two guys with him. Who are these two guys? Barnabas and Titus. I always think it's interesting to take note of details like that. Like, who did Paul take with them? Barnabas and Titus. Um, there's a saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. How many know that's a good, that's a good saying? If you're running with riffraff, I don't even know what that means, riffraff, but it's a bad thing. If you're running with, you know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Man, if you want to, if you want to um, be good at certain things, find people that are good. You want to you want to be good with money. Find people who are good with money and run with them. Ask them how they invest and how they how they budget and all those different things. If you want to be uh, a fit person, man, go hang out with fit people and let them mentor you. But show me your friends; I'll show you your future. Paul picks these two guys to run at least this portion of his race, and of course, we know that these people are. Um, Return offenders later on in the uh, in, in Paul's missionary journeys. Offender, I'm meaning that as a, as funny, of course. Uh, but Paul picked these guys to run this race with him and to go up to Jerusalem. Okay, who was Barnabas? Barnabas, like Paul, was a born Jewish. He was born in, into the Jew. He was a Jew ethnic, uh, ethnically and born in, uh, into the Jewish faith uh, by virtue of his family. But Barnabas. Um, that was actually his nickname. He had a nickname. Um, Barnabas's nature and his character was so tried and tested that the, the apostles actually gave him this nickname. And here's the nickname. It's, we find it in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. We're mid-thought here, but it says, for instance, there was Joseph. So that's actually his, his real name, Joseph. There was Joseph, one of the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. Okay, so imagine the, the original apostles giving you like, oh, we're just going to, how many of you have a nickname? Like this, people just start calling you something, right? Um, what's your nickname, brother? You can't tell me because I'm, brah, okay, yeah. Well, the shoe fits, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the shoe fits, wear it. You know, um. Hannah, Hannah and I used to work uh, at Res Church in Loveland, and I was, you know, hired on staff there. And she would, she would prank call me sometimes. She would do little pr pranks and stuff like that to me when I was in my office on, on call. So she kind of is a brat. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I can dish it out too. So they give Barnabas this nickname, Son of Encouragement. How many, how many would like if the, the, like the apostles give you this nickname, Son of Encouragement? 
Um, <coughs> Barnabas was an encourager. Encourage means to put courage into someone. Deposits courage into someone. You know, encouragement, being an encourager, is actually a spiritual gift. Um, it's listed in Romans chapter uh, 12, but it talks about uh, spiritual gifts. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy in, according, uh, in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it isn't uh, to encourage, uh, then give encouragement. If it is giving, give generously. If it is to lead, then uh, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Some people's gift is to be an encourager. Listen, y'all need an encourager in your life. Some people's gift is to just show mercy, just to be merciful people. Like that is a spiritual gift, and I'm, I'm highlighting these um, because maybe that's your spiritual gift, to be an encourager, to, to show mercy, or to be, uh, to teach, or to, um, or to give, or to, um, you know, these different things. And so, um, but Barnabas was an encourager. We all need an encourager in our lives. If you don't have an encourager in your life, go, go get one. Go, go, go find yourself an encourager. Bring them into your life. Do you guys remember, um, this was, uh, it's been a few years now, but do you guys remember Mike Simmons, who was part of our church, and he used to run cameras every week, and we couldn't get him not to run cameras. He loved it so much. Mike Simmons, and he passed away. Um, he was one, I think the one person we had in our congregation that passed away from COVID. Um, but he was such an encourager to me because literally after every sermon, he'd be like, that was so good. I love that so much. Where do you get this stuff? He was always encouraging, you know, and you need people like that because how many know life can be discouraging. Life makes withdrawals and we need people who make deposits in a good way in our lives. Amen. Life is hard. We need encouragers. What about Titus? Titus was not a Jew. Titus um, was Greek. Um, and it says this of, of Titus. What was he like? Acts 18, 7, um, it, talking about Titus. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. He was a worshiper. Listen, Paul goes on this journey and he surrounded himself with two types of people. He brought himself an encourager and he brought himself a worshiper. Amen. Every one of us, we need an encourager in our lives and we need a worshiper in our lives. Listen, the encourager builds you up. What is the, what does the worshiper do? The worshiper says, you know what? You got this problem. Let's just, let's just worship Jesus. Let's just take this in prayer before God. Let's just bring this before him. What do they do? They get your eyes off of yourself, the situation. They're like, let's get our eyes and our focus on Jesus. Let's see what Jesus is saying about this situation. Whenever I lead a missions trip, I'm like praying, praying for the people who are going to come on it. You know, I'm like, God, bring, bring the right people who are supposed to go on this mission trip. Or when we build our staff, it's like, God, we need the right people on our staff. Um, but when I go on a mission trip, I'm looking for an encourager. I'm looking for, you know, because you need someone to encourage people on the trip who are getting discouraged. You need a worshiper on that trip. You need someone who's like, we got this problem. Let's just throw down right now and let's pray, right? You also need some detailed people to keep everyone on time, right? <laughs> Deb, Deb Klein, by the way, you are that detailed person who keeps things moving along. Otherwise, the, you know, got to hurt the cat somehow. But I won't mention which trip this was, but you always, on a trip, you always have your, um, your EGRs. You know what that is? Your extra grace required people. 
You always have your EGRs on a trip, and I don't know if it's for them that they're on the trip to build them up or to keep you humble. I don't know what it is. But get yourself an encourager. Get yourself a worshiper in your life. I just Even in this message right now, identify. Who's your encourager? Who's the worshiper in your life? Leave Debbie down at home. First one. Verse two, actually, we'll get here. Then after 14 years, Paul, I went up again to Jerusalem this time with Barnabas and took Titus also. Verse two, he says this, I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I had preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. He wanted to make sure he wasn't running or hadn't been running his grace race in vain. How many know you have a grace race that you are on right now as well? He went to those esteemed leaders. We, um, that's probably Peter, James, and John. He presented to them the gospel that he was preaching, and he wanted to confirm with the anointed leadership in Jerusalem and in, in the world at that time that he was preaching the one true gospel. By the way, I think this is a good question for us to ask time to time. Are you, am I running my race in vain? That is a good question for us to ask from time to time, every now and then. Are you running your race in vain? In other words, are your goals for you and are your goals for your life, are they aligned with God's goals for you and God's goals for your life? God has a plan, purpose, and destiny for you, but many times I think we're running a, we're running a race or we're running a mixture of races But God has a specific race for us and a place that he wants us to focus and direct our energy to you. Are you chasing after things that don't matter? Are you chasing after vain things? And at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, Paul talks about that each of us, there's only one true foundation that we could build our lives upon, and that foundation, of course, is Jesus. But each of us are building on that foundation. He says there, there are two types of building materials that we could build on that foundation. And he says, one of them is uh, wood, hay, and stubble, gold, precious stones, and silver. And he says, each one's work will be tested by fire. And how many know that um, wood, hay, and stubble, when it's tested by fire, guess what? It burns up. Gold, precious stones, and silver, when it's tested by fire, it remains. And the the Bible says that um, our works, what we do here on earth, will be tested by fire. We we are Jesus, but if we're building on the foundation of Christ, we're building the way he wants us to build, we're going to have a reward connected with that in heaven. However, the Bible is actually clear on this, that if we're building with materials that aren't um, eternal materials and we're doing things and striving for things in life that don't matter in eternity, we will actually feel a sense, we will actually, there will be a sense of, oh my gosh, I could have had a, a greater reward. I actually missed out on some of the rewards that God wanted me to have. And some people will sense that on that day. Are you running your race in vain? Are your goals aligned with God's goals for you? That's a great question to ask every once in a while, to just spend some time with the Lord. And God, is this the lane you want me in? Is this the grace race that you have me on? Verse three, we're gonna get in the nitty gritty of this, this, uh, these verses now. Verse three, this will seem like a, a shift to you, but it's not. 
He says, not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus to make us slaves. Okay, now, the question of circumcision gets raised uh, in this context. As most of you know, in the Old Testament, when someone um, uh, converted to be a Jew, they had to be law observant. They had to be Torah observant. And the first thing, if you're a male, if you're converting to Judaism, the first thing you had to do was to be circumcised. This is the first, the first step to be law observant, Torah observant. It was a outward sign of an inward reality. There was something that was happening in your heart. And by the way, in the New Testament, there is a, there is a um, circumcision is a type and shadow of something that we do in the New Testament. And under the, under the old covenant, um, if you're a male, you were you were either um, you were you were circumcised, um, and then if you were a female, actually you were you either born into the household of, of the man who was circumcised, or you're married to a man who was circumcised. Um, and women, of course, didn't have to do that, but it was an outward sign of an inward reality. In the New Testament, both men and women are water baptized. That's the outward sign of the inward reality. That's the 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 um, the step of obedience that we're supposed to take that declares to the world, I'm going public with Jesus, the outward sign of the inward reality. Well, the first uh, Christ followers who were, uh, the first uh, Christ followers were all Jews. So when the gospel began being preached beyond Judea, this question arose. Here's the question. Do Christ followers need to convert to Judaism? At this time, it wasn't really seen that there was Judaism in Christianity. It was like, you're a Jew, and then you decided to follow Jesus. But as, it be, as the gospel began being preached outside of Judea, the question arose, do, do Christ followers have to convert to Judaism? Um, and would these, these newfound followers of Jesus, who was a Jew and law observant himself, do they have to be um, circumcised, convert to uh, Judaism to follow Christ? The answer, of course, is, and thankfully, no. We are not saved by living according to the letter of the law. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Amen. Can you imagine, though, if that was the case, how difficult it would be to do altar calls? (laughs) Confession, then cut, right? Present the gospel. And I could imagine that the, uh, the ratio of men to women would be much different, of people placing their faith in Jesus. It's like, wow, we get a lot more women converts than we get men converts, don't we? Like a man comes up to, to receive Jesus, like, okay, you receive Jesus, great. This is Hank, he's going to take you in the back room. Don't worry, we have bandages and neosporin, and uh, you're going to get, you're, we'll, get you, we'll get you back out, you know. Thankfully, that's not the case. But we do, by the way, but we do want to water baptize you. That is the public confession of your faith, if you will. And of course, we believe in and follow the whole counsel of God, both New and Old Testament. There's much wisdom in the Old Testament. The Old Testament helps us know what a godly life looks like. It helps us to understand the heart of God better. Most importantly, the Old Covenant in the Old Testament points to Jesus. How many know that the Old Testament is Christ concealed? The New Testament is Christ revealed. And the law, according to the Romans, is the schoolmaster that points us to Jesus. When we see this, the letter of the law, that's so difficult to live up to, it ultimately just points us to Jesus, and that's where we get our grace. Amen? 
Verse 4, he says, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on our freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves. Now, the text doesn't really say this. How did they spy on their freedom? Um, but some commentators that I've read was, have literally said, like, we don't actually know how they spied on their freedom, but one of the ways, how would, how would you know whether someone was circumcised or not? I mean, I suppose you could just ask them, but um, this may be implying that some people were like following them to the bathroom and like checking out if they were circumcised or not. <laughs> That's pretty awkward, isn't it? But notice, yes, yes, it is. Thank you, Kate. Can I get a witness? But notice they single out, they single out Titus in this text. Why? Well, Paul was born a Jew. Barnabas, born a Jew. We know Paul was circumcised. He said it explicitly in scripture. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. This is Philippians 3.5. Barnabas of the tribe of Levi. So Barnabas was born a Jew. This leaves out poor Titus where they're like, and it says he was not compelled to be circumcised. Okay, I want you to see in this text, number one, Paul sticks out his shoulders for Titus. And number two, how Paul identifies with Titus. He's saying, Titus and I are in the same boat here. You're not going to do this to him, right? Watch this, verse four, I'll read it again. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Paul says to these people, no, 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 we're not making this Greek man convert to Judaism in order to be a Christ follower. And by the way, he and I are in the same boat by grace alone through faith alone. Verse five, it says, we did not give in to them for a moment. Watch this. This is profound. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The implication is this. If they had allowed Titus to be circumcised, the message of the gospel would have been tainted for, for the Galatians and the message of the gospel, quite frankly, would have been tainted for us because we would have assumed perhaps there is some mixture of grace and law and works and faith. But we can conclude conclusively that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, that we are saved. Paul went up to Jerusalem to confirm with the leadership that the gospel he had been preaching, this is the gospel he was preaching, was the one true gospel. And he wants the Galatians to see that the message he brought them is the message that the apostles are preaching in Jerusalem as well. Those who were sowing division into the churches of Galatia were trying to, trying to communicate. This message that Paul preached to you is different than the message that was being preached in Jerusalem and Paul is, in fact, showing them that there's, he's preaching the one true and the same gospel. Verse 6 says this. He goes on. He says, as, as for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On, uh, verse 7, on the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with a task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. The apostles realized that they were in their lane and that the apostle Paul was in his lane and Barnabas was in his lane, and yet they preached one and the same gospel by faith alone in Christ alone. Verse eight, Paul 
Paul says this, for God who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised was at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and uh, that is Peter, James, Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the, to the circumcised. In other words, the apostles recognized, Paul, you're running your grace race. You're called to the, to the non-Jews. Peter, James, and John, they're running their grace race and they were called to the Jews. And I just want to just pull that application forward to you and me today. What is the specific lane that God has called you into? What is your grace race? How many know that when you find your lane and you find the grace of God for your life, you can get in that lane and run with it, amen? Whatever that is, and it doesn't have to look like full-time ministry, but how many know God wants to use us everywhere, anywhere and everywhere? Our, my, my friend here, Brian Hartman, um, Hannah's, Hannah's uh, husband, he, he's a truck driver and he loves what he does. I love hearing him talk about what he does. He's in his lane, he's doing his thing. He's found his calling and God uses him within that calling. Whatever it is, wherever God has you, let him use you, but find the grace race and stay in your lane, amen? Verse 10, he says this, all they asked is that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Peter, James, and John are the ones who were conveying this to them. James, in a very James way, says, remember the poor. If you read the book of James, of course, it talks about that our faith should have evidence of a changed life and that faith without works is dead. How many know we're not saved by our works, but, um, but works should accompany our faith. There should be an evidence of a changed life when we place our faith and trust in Lord Jesus. In fact, if, if there's never any change, there's never any heart transformation, um, I begin to question whether the grace of God really did something transformative in a person's life. We're not saved by our works, but how many know we are saved for our works? We are saved to make a difference. We're not, we're not saved from making a difference, but we are saved to make a difference. Amen? This is the grace race that God has called you into, the lane that he's called you into, is to transform this world and to, and to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in this world, not just to, you know, take up some oxygen molecules while you're here until you're done. Paul responds and says, this has been the very thing I've been eager to do the whole time. Why? Because Paul was transforming. He was eager to remember the poor. In fact, Paul and Barnabas, this is actually literally what they were doing on this trip to Jerusalem in the first place. I'll give you another perspective of this trip that they were on up to Jerusalem. You find it um, in the book of Acts. In, in the book of Acts, Paul goes up to Jerusalem several times in the book of Acts, but this particular trip is highlighted in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 30. It says this, <clears throat> during, the time, uh, during this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them na named Agabus stood up in front, um, stood up in one of the meetings and, and predicted by the spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. They did uh, This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. So the very thing 
that Peter, James, and John said, hey, don't forget, to, don't forget the poor. Paul and Barnabas and Titus on this trip, this is the very thing that they are doing on this trip, is they, they, they take a collection from the brothers and sisters um, in, in the Roman uh, providences to Judea. They present them to the leaders in Jerusalem and so that those leaders can distribute um, those, those gifts to the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. close here. I'm going to give you a teaser for next week. Here it is. Did you know that Paul did circumcise one of his spiritual sons? Paul circumcised Timothy, but not Titus. Question, why did Paul circumcise his spiritual son, Timothy, but not his spiritual son, Titus? If the truth of the gospel would have been tarnished by circumcising Titus, why was it not tarnished when he circumcised Timothy? If you come back next week, I'll tell you why. But why wait? You can research it yourself and, and uh, find out. Amen? Little little Bible study there. I'll conclude with this. There's a verse in Deuteronomy, very famous. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall worship the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. There is one God. And how many know there is also one gospel? There isn't a good news for Jews and for Gentiles. There's one good news. There's one gospel for Jews and Gentiles, one gospel for slave and free, one gospel for rich and poor, one gospel for educated and uneducated, one gospel for male and female, one for rich or poor, whether you're old or young, smart or not smart, white, black, Mexican, Chinese, Middle Eastern, or whatever, there is one gospel. There isn't one gospel for one group and another gospel for one other group. Now, you, you can take the gospel and bring it to people's different levels, right? Paul says, I want to be all things to all, all men. But it's the same one and the same gospel. I, um, if we still have this, I have two pictures. Um, if we go way back to the beginning of the message, I had two pictures I was going to show. One is of a, of a humble child, a humble children. How many know when you're preaching the gospel to these children, it's the same gospel that you would preach to a rich lawyer? Go to the next photo. Same gospel, right? Rich lawyer, humble children, white, black, rich, poor, whatever it is, there is one gospel. And that's what this church, the early church was wrestling through. Do these non-Jewish believers have to convert to Judaism? Or are we preaching two different gospels? What is the deal? They concluded there is one gospel they preach everywhere in the world. The same God working in all of us. Amen.